This is The Lore Check. Hello, other people, and thank you for joining us for Episode 7 of The Lore Check. I'm your host, Brandon Michael Terry, and with me as always is my partner in crime, Devin. I've seen the future, and it is bright. Void. Thank you, Brandon. I actually have seen the future, and it is very bright, especially when the sun finally explodes. Hmm, that's an interesting way of thinking about the word bright in that scenario. Uh, you know, it's kind of like one of those Rorschach tests. It, it explores the psyche a little bit more. You're a very disturbed psyche, Devin, and that's why I keep you around. Thank you. I'm glad to be appreciated for it. Well, Devin, through your disturbed psyche, why don't you go ahead and tell listeners what they can expect from us today. So today we're going to be talking about the sci-fi genre of fantasy. Ooh. Now, I may have said two contradictory words there, but trust me, later we are going to explain the difference between pure sci-fi and sci-fi fantasy. It's a very big game. It's kind of a hot topic now. They even have the sci-fi channel. So we figure, why not explore it and see what makes it so special? There are plenty of games out there that fall from the sci-fi, sci-fantasy genre. You have the Star Wars RPG itself, which is huge. You have the newly released and growing popularity of Starfinder that Paizo put out. You have some lesser-known games like Space Dogs. That's an independent publisher. And of course, Savage World has Last Parsec. So you have plenty of games that kind of fall into the science fiction genre. So we're going to talk about what we love about it, why do we connect, why does science fiction, science fantasy, how do they create good experiences that we can delight in as players and GMs. But first, as always, it's story time. So Devin, why don't you go ahead and tell listeners a story of something that gave you a science fantasy, science fiction experience. So I have played a few sci-fi games in the past, uh, science fiction, science fantasy. Mm -hmm. Um, I would say the most recent one... Uh, that I have been playing, like you just mentioned, was mm-hmm. uh, Paizo's new release of Starfinder. I think that probably one good story that I have from playing that game occurred when uh, the party was attempting to essentially smuggle some runaway slaves off-world. Mm-hmm. In order to do so, we had to enter into a junk depot, um, basically put together some junk desert vehicles, uh, such as ATV, bikes, dune buggies, in order to escort the amount of them out through the desert, which was a three to four hour drive, and while we were on our way to where our ship was docked, so that way we could load them up and send them off-world for rehabilitation and relocation, we actually got attacked by a giant space worm, which caused tremors under the ground, and we are on these poorly fashioned, uh, like, scooters and ATVs, shooting our laser rifles and cannons at them, uh, just trying to protect them, but at the same time trying to survive ourselves um, amidst the night sky where you can look up and see all the other planets and multiple moons, um, just the strange weather anomalies there that are on different planets. And it really felt like I was somewhere else. It felt like I was on another world, fighting in space, engaging in this this high technological, um, to some extent magical fight. Do you say that gives the science fiction feel being somewhere else, being another world? I think so, yeah. Uh, when you take the human race and you mix them, not just with like elves and orcs, but with aliens uh, from other planets, other mm-hmm. worlds... Uh, that bring their own technology to the table that are going to be, to some extent, vastly different than what your technology is, Mm -hmm. I think that kind of starts to um, piece together the sci-fi genre. And it's weird, like in the new Starfinder lore of the new Packworld, technically elves are aliens. Yeah, it's weird. Even in Pathfinder itself, Mm -hmm. they do hint that 
the elves are from another planet. You know, general lore suggests that elves are always from somewhere else. Even in C.S. Lewis's work, elves are not from... Oh, no, J.R.R. Tolkien. Yeah, Tolkien. (laughs) My apologies. Uh, But even in Tolkien's work, elves are from another place. They're not from Middle-earth. You triggered a lot of fans there, but luckily you caught yourself. Well, you know, and I'd like to take a moment to try and justify myself that Tolkien and Lewis were both friends. They were at the same pub, and they heavily critiqued each other's work, etc. So it's it's an honest, light, gentle mistake. Please forgive yeah. me. Yeah, maybe Lewis was the one who told him about the elves being in a place. <laughs> we don't know. We weren't there. At least you weren't. Yeah, I forgot. forgot you had that time travel ability that works once every 15 years. Well, speaking of all this weird time travel, Devin experienced different worlds. Let's talk about how you all might get experience your own. Before we can kind of get into why we love it, we have to answer a pretty big question of what is it? We got caught up in that a little bit last time in fantasy, but it helps to kind of talk about what is science fiction, what is science fantasy. So big picture, Devin, what is sci-fi? Sci-fi is essentially outer space, mm-hmm. planets, aliens, human race, guns, lasers, no magic, mm-hmm. no wizards, no space dragons or anything like that. Just Unless they're aliens. Just picture in your mind Star Trek or Stargate SG-1 or Stargate Atlantis and imagine that humans engaging in the exploration of everything that is outside our own planet mm-hmm. to discover what is new out there, document that, and yeah. yeah. I think that's right. Like, it isn't magic. Basically, it's sci-fi is human ability, knowledge, and technology push the very limits of plausibility and possibility. Technically, it's all still possible that what we talk about in science fiction can happen. I mean, it's technically, within laws of physics, possible to create faster than light speed travel, we find ways to make wormholes and all that. So as long as they're trying to explain how the technology works in some way, even if it's as simple as, well, I hit this button, stuff happens. Even if it's technically nonsense, they still try to explain it, then it's science fiction. Because it is still trying to obey the laws we live in. Science fantasy, on the other hand, or space fantasy, if you want to call it that, plays by different rules. Science fantasy, then, could be summed up with the movie Star Wars. Mm-hmm. You have this order of space knights who are out there trying to you know, enforce their own rules on the galaxy to keep peace and whatnot. But at the same time, there's this whole other mystical side to what they do in their in their religion and their, their beliefs mm-hmm. that allow them to transcend into this almost ethereal plane. Maybe the force is what it could be. I don't know. Uh, and they have these strange powers that they can conjure lightning or they can choke the life out of you or with their mind move things around. They have these swords that they use, which can uh, be used not only to cut things down, but to serve other purposes. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I think it, it's kind of transplanting that fantasy realm and idea of things into a sci-fi setting, yeah. creating that child uh, space fantasy. That's what space fantasy, science fantasy is. You're adding magic or a different set of rules of reality into the science fiction genre. Because now we're not just talking about I create technology that can fly fast as be of light, or I create laser weapons. You're saying... I now have the ability to read people's minds or shoot lightning from my fingertips by concentrating on this mystical force of the universe. You change the rules of reality altogether. And once you create a whole new world, whole universe, you can't be just science fiction anymore. But that doesn't mean they're not both great. Both these genres kind of share the same, kind of feel the same focus on technology pushed to its limits of space, of aliens, of deep exploration, which is why we're covering them in the same episode. We're not trying to split them up. We might go deeper later, but for now we're keeping them together. Because you have effectively the same experience a lot of the time, don't you, Devin? I think so. You're still going to be going from different worlds. You're still going to be encountering different species. Mm-hmm. You're going to be exploring and discovering. It's just that one of the rules connects a little bit more to what we're used to on our mm-hmm. personal day-to-day lives, whereas the other one is very much 
not like that. It's what we're used to more with a Dungeons and Dragons feel, but in space. So if you want space knights and space wizards, go to science fantasy. If you just want robots and space travel and technology, stick with sci-fi. The basic is up to you, but at the end, we have some of the same reasons why we love both these genres. So Devin, why don't you kick us off? Why do you think people love the experiences they find in the science fiction genre? Well, I think ever since the uh, 1960s when we started our, you know, race, mm. people started to question, you know, well, what might be out there? Now, I'm sure this question existed before yeah. we started going to space. I mean, you have inventors like Galileo who were trying to further astrology, trying to understand what exactly this universe is, where's our place in it, how does it function? Now that that's much more tangible, now that we have satellites where we can look at it, we no longer wonder, what where is Earth? What is Earth doing? But now we start to wonder, well, what is outside of Earth? What is outside of our solar system? What's outside of the Milky Way galaxy? And so these sci-fi and science fantasy genres kind of allow us to use our imagination to kind of pretend what is out there. Let's go ahead and, you know, become Master Chief, if you will, mm-hmm. or yeah. even become Commander Shepard and... Get um get get with your crew and go to these other planets and explore it and experience what there is out there. And, and I think that actually, even though Mass Effect isn't mm-hmm. necessarily a uh, board game, though I think they may have actually made one. They in the probably past few have. Years. I'm sure they have. But Mass Effect is a very very good way uh, to talk about science fiction. Except now that I think about it. You think it's more sci-fi or more space fantasy? Because you do have classes in there that have some type of a mystical ability. Technically, all of them are like manipulating gravity, though. The casters or whatever in Mass Effect are manipulating gravity. But even in Starfinder, the Solarian, though, is kind of a, a mystical class, manipulates gravity as well. Yeah, but it's still technically within the laws of... It's different, I'd still say. So I'd still say Mass Effect by itself still falls in science fiction. But we don't have to argue about that too much. Because I think you have the right point, nonetheless, Devin, that I think science fiction, science fantasy, whatever you want to shape it as, kind of connects to the same fantasy thing we mentioned last time of our desire for exploration. I mean, for the longest time, astronauts were considered American heroes simply because they went into space. If they did nothing other than go into space, they became heroes because they did something that we've all wanted to do. They've broken out of this boundaries that we've had. There's a whole other frontier out there. We kind of get bored that we feel like we found everything on Earth. With the exception to going really deep into the oceans... Which, to me, is terrifying, by the way. Yeah, you don't want to do that. <laughs> With exception of doing that, we pretty much found everything on Earth. It's all been discovered. So we want the next frontier, the next thing to go to score. And so astronauts become heroes, except now you can just pay millions of dollars to do it, so it's less heroic. It connects to that childhood fantasy. And I remember we all as kids loved playing robots or having laser weapons. Laser weapons are just cooler than pistols. I mean, they just are. Like, shooting a laser gun is better than shooting a pistol. Unless you receive stormtrooper training with your laser rifle, then I think, yeah, it definitely would be. The idea of being able to shoot this fiery, energy-filled beam out mm-hmm. of a gun, there's just some, there's something different about it. Rather than shooting a little pellet with the gunpowder and the casing that pops out afterwards, to, to be able to shoot a, a laser weapon or a plasma cannon or mm-hmm. something crazy like that, yeah, you know, it, it, it's just different. I think because it's so different, that's just a lot of where the excitement comes from. I think you're absolutely right, and we have that. So this, there's the first part of why science fiction is amazing, which is the exploration. The second element that I would say about why science fiction kind of connects to us is futuristic optimism. That science fiction allows us to look at the technology we have. It allows us to imagine the what-ifs, the possibilities out there. That we have technology can do stuff that if you went back and talked to someone a couple hundred years ago, or even just 50 years ago, about the smartphones we have, it would seem like magic to them. It isn't. Science technology, but it's so advanced that it solves so many of our basic problems of communication, of connection, and science fiction comes to the question of what else could we solve if we kept developing, getting better. So I have a question for you, then, Brandon. Yeah, absolutely. If we were able to, for twenty-four, forty-eight hours, take Benjamin mm-hmm. Franklin mm-hmm. and place him here today, what 
do you think that Benjamin Franklin's mind would conjure up as type of sci-fi reality? Given that he was an inventor, he was pushing the laws of science, constantly yeah. trying to, to discover and create. Mm-hmm. Looking at today, you mentioned we have smartphones. What else do you think there would be? Do you think cars, probably? Cars? I mean, back when we have these vehicles that move because of explosions we contain. Basically, that's how cars work. We, we contain explosions inside of a thing we drive around. It's horrifying to think about. That's how we move around vehicles. Yeah, now that I'm thinking of it, it does sound a little bit scary. It makes me want to go get a tel- uh, Tesla now. But yeah, he's like, that was right. Even Tesla's cars, by pure electricity, we move this entire vehicle. I mean, Benjamin Franklin, like, he did experiments with electricity. He'd probably be freaked out that we can now use it to move giant pieces of metal around at our will. And that there's literally electricity pretty much anywhere yep. you go. At least within yep. the Western world concept, you don't go anywhere without seeing something electrical every time you look. I mean, we also have lasers, like taking some of the similar properties that he had. Like when he made the bifocals using lenses, we say, well, we took that concept, amplified it times a million, and focused light into really concentrated points where we can actually burn stuff with it. Yeah, well, not even that, but you can do laser eye surgery yeah. to remove the, uh, I forget what it's called, like the... Um, cataracts? Yeah, mm-hmm. for cataracts. Uh, you can even do laser tattoo removal. Mm-hmm. You know, it's weird. Yeah, and, like, and just sit, about, sit down and think about it for a second. Because we grew up in it, it just seems commonplace. Because we all have cell phones, because we've all seen laser pointers, we've seen cars work, they don't seem as fantastic to us. So what sci-fi gives, gives us a chance to do is say, okay, well, let's push you thousands of years into the future, or even just 200 years in the future, because Benjamin Franklin was only 200 years ago, roughly. Oh, that's so weird to really put it into perspective. Yeah, it's only about 200 years. Like, the amount of time it took for gliders to transition into actual space shuttles. Yeah. It's a very short period of time. Yeah. So imagine 2,000 years from now, 200 years from now, the stuff that could happen. And that's what science fiction has a chance to do. It's, well, I'm going to put you on a spaceship flying around the universe, technology that can shoot beams or just cancel gravity in a pocket of area, technology that can compress matter to little microscopic levels and shrink people. And like you're even saying with like warp speed or yeah. something that can like you enter a machine that shoots you to the other side of the universe yeah. itself. Yeah. Going faster than light travel. Like, all this stuff is theoretically possible. And it gives a chance to have that wonder again of what technology could do. That human creativity is so powerful. What can we do? And it gives us a chance to dream again. And it can even inspire creativity. I mean, the stuff that was on Star Trek back in the 60s and 70s inspired some modern-day inventions. The cell phones, they had a concept like it. Yeah, I was going to say the tablet yeah. probably. Yeah, really the tablet, they it. had that. <laughs> I mean, by basically forcing people to have imagination, we can create new creations. Because at the end of the day, the only way to make new things is to force yourself to think out of what you normally accept to be what's possible. So I think what science fiction does is it pushes us to have those what-if moments, the wow. And in gaming, as we're characters having these sci-fi moments, our characters can do that stuff. Our characters get a chance to live in and interact with this stuff. And it feels almost real. Like it's, not, it's not weird anymore that I'm just imagining it. Why would I want this? Because I played a character who had a jetpack. So I want a jetpack. I'm going to make a jetpack now that I've done it. It forces you into really embracing the what-ifs. Anything you want to say to that, Devin? Yeah, I think that... It's really neat to consider the, like, us as humans mm-hmm. ourselves bracing or embracing the what ifs of reality. Mm-hmm. But even if you want to condense it into the role playing game you're playing, mm-hmm. your characters are dealing with this technology, trying yeah. to push that technology further to find new uses for it. You know, your pulse cannon might be meant for using a uh, type of EMP on a vehicle, but maybe your character is able to think outside of the box and use that for something it wasn't created for. And even then, that itself is spurring on invention within mm-hmm. the game and further within the play. Mind. Yeah, because part of what we do for role-playing games is to inspire ourselves to be more creative, to be more imaginative people. Like, we come to these experiences to have those moments, to make a creative outlet. And science fiction says, we're not even talking magic, we're just going to say, let's imagine we have super technology, what could you do with it if you had super science? I bet Dr. Horrible would be able to answer that pretty quickly. I love Dr. Horrible. Speaking of Dr. Horrible, let's talk about morality and sci-fi. 
Because there's some level where science fiction presents these new morality questions in a different way. For instance, what constitutes a person? Because when you put in your sci-fi, you then have aliens. And typically these aliens, you have sentient aliens that have cultures, personalities, different feelings. You know, if you ask, what makes a human being? Like, who gets rights anymore? And I think that's why, and they use the term humanoid in a lot of these games, yeah. because it's difficult to say what makes a human mm-hmm. when humans are humans, yeah. you know? Why should a, you know, whatever race Yoda was, be considered a human when they're not a human? But when you say humanoid, then you're saying human-like. What else possesses human-like qualities? What can <laughs> fit into this this idea? And so, yeah, I think that personhood comes in there a lot. Yeah. What constitutes a, a person, a humanoid, a being that is both, you know, combined with uh, intelligence, mm-hmm. um, a soul, mm-hmm. you know, maybe a different taste in music. Yeah. You know? yeah, that's one of the most fascinating things about Starfinder when they introduced the android race. Is androids for a long time were enslaved. They were kind of robots. People just used. They were kind of semi-organic robots. And somebody's like, wait a minute. These things have souls. We can't enslave them, use them as tools anymore. They're, they're peoples. And then there's still some struggle between humans and androids since then. Deb, you play an android. You kind of love that dynamic. I do. I, I very much like the dynamic of sympathizing and empathizing with other races that struggle with something very similar, such mm-hmm. as any type of insect race that was enslaved by an, a hive mind. Yeah, by the swarm. Yeah, by the swarm. Uh to be able to see kind of how that ends up playing itself out through role play. Yeah. Um, it, it's very fun. It, it really does put me into a new mindset of, you know, I was once just viewed as a tool, a machine for a singular purpose. And mm-hmm. now, you know, though the Android community or whatever is still persecuted to some extent due to that, or at least viewed as a mm-hmm. lesser class citizen or humanoid or what have you, there's still that fun aspect that kind of takes you out of your day-to-day normative, mm-hmm. puts you into something else, someone else's shoes. And I think that really helps us. One, as we kind of empathize again, we talked about role-playing, it helps us empathize with the people to experience things. But I think it also helps us think through how do we remember what's human about us? By seeing other races that aren't, don't look like us, but act like us, we remember the very special things about being human, about being people. And we can delight in that because I can experience it. I think sci-fi also helps us ask the questions, well, we can, but should we? Because they started kind of like, you could do this. I mean, now we ask, if we can, should we? It happens tons of time in sci-fi, Jonas. It happens also, uh, the doctor's name, um, but in Jurassic Park, Mm -hmm. Dr. Ian, uh, whatever his last name is, Jeff Goldblum. Yeah, mm-hmm. Dr. Jeff Goldblum. Yep, that's all matters. From the fly. Asked that very question. Like, yes. your scientists were so caught up in, could we? Mm-hmm. They didn't ask, should we? I think sci-fi gives that opportunity. And then we're going to ask some moral questions from it. We're not going to tell you what kind of moral questions you should answer right now. Maybe Devin will give a short little podcast with his ethics degree on what kind of questions to ask. <laughs> give me a five to six more months and I'll be certified to do that. It just gives you a chance to GM as a player to talk these issues together. Do a little bit more separating yourself from the issue. Let's just be honest, once more, sci-fi, we love it because it's cool. Because robots, lasers, spaceships, different aliens, it's just cool stuff that puts all this together. For instance, think about the last movie you went to go see that embodied that. This isn't the very last one I saw, but mm. the one that comes to mind is Pacific Rim. Mm, yeah. Is it a movie with a lot of plot? No. Is it a movie with a lot of character development? I would argue not really. But is it a very cool movie with robots and lasers and these space creatures that are rising out of the water trying to destroy Earth and the combat that ensues between them? Most definitely, yes. And the reason I like that is because it's cool. I don't think that it's deep, but it excites that that inner joy. Yeah, I think you're right. Because the reason why sci-fi gets away with making movies, like Pacific Rim was a real blockbuster movie, but it was giant robots versus giant monsters, who cares? Sci-fi gets away with making four Sharknado movies, 
making Megashark with John Octopus because that, that genre of somewhat sci-fi or weird mixture of super science and all that, we don't care if it's good or not. It's fun. We enjoy it. And so embrace that. Before we end today's episode, me and Dev want to kind of talk about how do we make sure we embrace these? How do we make sure we throw ourselves into these genres? Do we want to offer GM and players advice to make sure they keep hold of the science fiction experience? Devin, do you have any advice, key things to do to keep the science fiction experience? If you think back now to when you were a child, what was one of the things that you did a lot with your friends if you were inside or outside? Yelled. You would yell. But part of yelling included mm-hmm. playing pretend. Of course, yeah. And that's almost what you're doing. You just need to be able to, you know, reignite that imagination that you had in your childhood youth and take that to the table or wherever you happen to be playing to the theater of the mind and begin to reimagine this future and everything that goes on with that. And through doing so, you can actually eventually start to embrace this idea of role-playing in a sci-fi world. I think that's right, Devin. Because you mentioned before, players being, I think, outside the box with the technology they have. I think a good GM within a sci-fi setting will let players bend the rules a little bit with the technology they have. Because you give them a chance to think, what can I do with this technology? They're given the chance to do the what-ifs. But if you say, no, can't work that way, I mean, you're not really embracing science fiction. You're trying to be science real again. You're losing the whole fiction and the fantasy of it. So let them be creative. Let them think outside the box. And as well as that, force them outside the box. The reason why we travel to other planets and other species is to experience new weird things. Like when I'm GMing through Starfinder, as much as possible, I try and tell, this is why this planet is nothing like the planet you guys live on. This is why the gravity is not the same. This is why culture is not the same here. Because you're trying to bring them the very word alien, meaning different and out of the ordinary. So force your players out of the box with sci-fi. Brandon, what are we listening to next time on The Lore Check? Thanks for the intro, Devin. So next time on The Lore Check, we're going to move into the the punk genre. So one thing about sci-fi that you keep in mind is that it technically is an optimistic genre. It looks the future in a bright, shining way. Well, next time, we're going to plummet that down to the ground. It's going to get dark. It's going to get dirty. And we're going to punk. And me and Devin are going to go over what makes that such a creepy, such a depressing, but a really good time. But I think that's about all we have on today's episode of Check. Any other advice, Devin? I would say if I were to have one thing of closing advice, especially the topic that we just attempted to cover here. Mm -hmm. I would say that it's very important to make sure that you live your life as if you're a leaf on the wind so that the world can watch how you... Devin? Devin? Devin?